Amen. So uh, Romans 13 is where we're at. We're, we're nearing the end of Romans, which is exciting. Uh, we've covered a lot so far. We've covered a very important uh, Christian doctrine. We uh, studied uh, Israel, how, how the Lord uh, revealed to us you know, their falling and that uh, they will be restored. Uh, one day they will be. Um, and that they're, uh, them being uh, punished, uh, or, uh, or if you want to consider it that way, uh, is temporary. It's, it's not permanent, uh, it is temporary, and it's not total. So uh, we, we understand from our study that the Lord will graft them back in. And that he's grafted anybody who's not, not Jewish that's, that's come to the faith, he's grafted us in. Uh, so there's a, uh, a wonderful uh, message of redemption uh, through the book of Romans that we've, we've gone through. Now, uh, where we're at now is we've been studying even last week and, and continues this week with instructions for Christian living. And uh, these are not suggestions. We, we, have to, we have to understand. It's not like Paul saying, hey, it might be good for you uh, to consider this. You know, really, Paul was saying this, this, this is how we as Christians are to conduct ourselves. So uh, once we have come to faith, this is how we mature in our faith, by, by applying these biblical uh, commands to our lives and these principles. So uh, as we're going through, we, uh, we understand more of what it is. What, it is. what is it to be a follower of Christ? What does that mean? You know, when, when, we, are, uh, when we call ourselves a Christian, right, uh, what, what does that mean? Uh, is, is that just a, a tagline we have to, we want to have uh, there? Or does that mean we are actually followers of Christ? You know, listening to his teachings, applying those to our lives. Are we disciples of Christ that we're following uh, him? So important to, to realize that, that Paul is writing this, especially where we're about to get into submitting to government. As soon as you say that, oh, everybody gets all excited, right? Uh, we have to understand what government was he under? the tyranny of Rome that was bludgeoning people into submission, right? And when Paul has these things to say, and, in, and really about any government that's, that's set uh, forward, uh, you know, he's telling Christians, this is how you conduct yourself. This is how you live your lives. So, um, so these are expectations for followers of Christ. Verse 1 says, uh, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. So Paul starts off, and now realize this is a continuous letter that Paul is writing. For us, for reference, these chapters and verses were listed. So Paul's continuing on in his instructions for Christian living. And where we pick up here uh, is Paul starting uh, for us, as we know it, in, in uh, Romans chapter 13, verse 1. It says, let every soul be subject to governing authority. Uh, that's every soul. Every soul. Let everybody be subject uh, to governing authorities. You'll realize as we read through here, of God, by God, or from God are listed all throughout. So we have to understand, okay, so who established government? God did. God established government. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about this here some more, but consider, like I said, the Roman government that, that uh, Paul uh, had to, uh, had to in, you know, really submit himself to. And, uh, and there was all kinds of different uh, things that, that, Paul himself, where uh, he was a Jew, he'd also be subject to the, the Jewish authorities. And, and we'll see, we'll, we'll go through these things. So uh, this is a man that, that understood authority, and uh, he's telling us you know, what this means. Now, I, I know in this, uh, especially in, in northern Maine, uh, when you get up uh, past northern Massachusetts, right, 
Um, that, that was a joke about Southern man. I'm just kidding. But, uh, uh, but uh, you know, when we consider here, I mean, it's, it's true in our voting, right? You can see our voting. But uh, it's a, there's a lot more uh, of, of a conservative group uh, up this way here. So uh, there, there are a lot of people that bristle at the fact of government. Well, that person's a government, so I'm not going to follow it. And Paul's addressing that here because, guys, this is something I have to, I have to make myself submit to, right? You know, we, we, have to, we have to submit to the word of God. As we submit to his word, he's the one uh, that's going to bless us. And, and we're going to see here uh, you know, the, the blessings that come with submitting to his word and following uh, what the Lord says. So Paul knew and taught uh, that uh, human government was God's ordinance. And that's what he's teaching us here. He understood that and he's sharing that here. And he even says there's no authority except from God. And he says the authorities that exist are appointed by God. So like them or not, God is working out his plan. So we have to trust that, you know, when we're uh, uh, in a situation, we don't really care who our authorities are uh, or care for them, those that are over you, whatever authority that is. Okay. This isn't here about uh, here within the church. Just understand within the church, we're not Republicans or Democrats, right? We, that, that's, those are, those are political alliances from this world. We're, we're called to be followers of God. So uh, we, we have to understand. So if you want to call it a biblical independent, I don't know. Uh, however, you need to reconcile that, right? Because, you know, we really know, right? Uh, because you can look at, at any party and, and, and realize imperfect person, imperfect person, okay? If we make our lives about following an imperfect person, where's that going to lead us, right? Those, those are, we can't look to uh, these people as the one that's going to lead us in, in those things. Yes, they're called to lead the country. But as Christians, who do we look to to lead us, right? The Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit leads us. So we, we have to keep those things uh, in mind here. So the authorities that exist are appointed by God, it says. So like them or not, you know, God is working out his plan. So we have to have respect for the office. Uh, you ever been there before? Maybe at work, right? This, this includes work, right? We don't go to work and be the, 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 the pain in the butt, right, all the time, right? Where they're just like, I can't get them to do anything. Right? What witness do we have there? Right? What witness do we have if we're we're just being, to, uh, uh, you know, for me, you know, prior military, if I'm I'm being given a lawful order and I'm not willing to obey that lawful order, I'm just creating a scene, and I'm not doing what I I I, I pledged that I was going to do when I swore in, when I took my oath of enlistment. I'm not doing those things. So when there's a lawful order, I'm, I'm, I'm to obey it, whether I like the commander that's giving it to me or not. I, I still have to follow those, uh, those things. One thing that the Bible tells us to do is to pray for them. This is going to change our mindset of how we look at things. If you consider what uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 say, Therefore, so this is Paul, right? This same Paul that's writing Romans here is writing to the young pastor Timothy. And he says, Therefore, I exert, exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and givings of, a giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So there's our, our command from the scripture to pray for those that are in authority over us. Might be hard to do, but we got to submit to God's will. Like I said, you don't have to like whoever XYZ is, but we need to pray for them. We need to be praying for them that God would do a work. Right. So some people, when they think of the presidency, some people didn't like Trump. I'm not praying for that guy. OK, so you're not going to actually do what the Bible tells us to do. Somebody may not like Biden. I'm not praying for him. Guys, we're supposed to be praying for godly leaders. Right. And what does it say there? That we may lead quiet and peaceable lives in all godliness and reverence. Whether somebody likes somebody or not, the scriptures tell us to pray. It doesn't say you better like them. You have to like them. Better get your bumper sticker. It doesn't say anything like that. It says to pray for these leaders, to pray for them, that they would hear from God and they would understand that they've been put there by God and that they're responsible for how they rule, reign, whatever you want to look at it, uh, however you want to consider that, however they conduct themselves. By what they do, they'll be, they'll be accountable for it. Paul goes on to say, if you resist authority, you're resisting the ordinance of God. 
You know, God is a God of order, and law and order was given by him. So, you know, when you think of, you, you, I remember, especially when I was in like junior high and high school and stuff, you'd see, you know, kids spray painting the anarchy sign. Anarchy will never work. It'll never work because there's always going to be somebody in charge. Always. Because when there's nobody in charge, somebody's going to see, well, this is my chance to rise to the top, right? It's, it's, it's always the head nods, right? It's how it's always going to be. And true anarchy, the way they're, they're, they describe it, will never work because somebody's always going to want to be there. I'm in charge. I'm on top. I'm on top. We're, we're, you know, I'm re leading the rebellion, right? Okay, the rebellion against authority, and I'm going to lead it. Okay, well, you're setting up your own government. You know, it's just it's never going to work. God ordained government because humans are sinful and we need regulation. That's uh, you know simple as that. It says that you'll bring judgment on yourself if you are resisting the ordinance of God. Um, if we look at government as an ordinance of God and we're resisting it, then we're going to bring judgment on ourselves. This is not talking about a condemnation of our soul, but earthly judgment. What are, what are we going to face when we're doing things outside of the commandment of God? What are we going to uh, to uh, we end up uh, you know, resisting to our own harm uh, so that we think it's freedom? Uh, it, it may be that it says rulers are not a terror to good works, but evil. And uh, so when you consider, right, if you're not doing anything wrong, what do you have to fear? Right. It, that's, you know, um, there's the the uh, the biblical uh, principle that tells us, uh, you know, guilty man flee was flees when no one's chasing. him. You guys ever been watching cops? And the cops just ride down the road. I love this. And somebody just starts running. Cops like, what's going on here? Right? And they pull them over and they find out guy's got a warrant or, or whatever, right? Never would have had, you know, if the dude would have just kept walking down the street or whatever, the uh, cop wouldn't have even known. Guilty man flees when no one's chasing him. They're, they're, they're out of there because their conscience, their conscience is, is, is at work in them. So they see the cop, they're going to run. But if you're, you know, you got a free, uh, you know, uh, a, a uh, free conscience and you don't have to worry about it. That's that's the way I've chosen to live my life. I, uh, um, a couple of my siblings are uh, not so much. You know, they uh, they took the hard road and uh, and I watched that uh, in their lives and uh, some of them have spent some time and uh, you know uh, in in confinement. Nothing crazy, nothing big or anything like that. But I, I saw, you know, when when a, a sibling of mine went to the juvenile uh, detention hall down in, in Portland uh, and I, I saw uh, and, and I would read letters and go, I don't want anything to do with what's down there. You know, and then he'd come back and he'd tell me he told me stuff and I'm going, this is crazy. You know, and I, I learned from that and I'm going, OK, so if I do that, this is what's going to end up happening to me. If I don't do that, then I don't have to worry about that. Well, I'm just not going to do that. And, you know, if you don't want to fear uh, these uh, what's what's being um, presented here, what, you know, the Lord has set up, then just do good works. If we want to be afraid, do what is good. Uh, you will have praise from the same. Verse four says, for he is God's minister uh, to you for good. You know, but if you do evil, then you can be afraid. Right. So set in those uh, those positions of uh, you know, civic leadership, whatever that leadership uh, position is, then they have the ability to uh, to execute a judgment. It says he does not bear the sword of justice in vain, is what's being described here. Now, it's important for uh, for leaders to understand that they are not God and that they are actually servants of God. Uh, we have uh, one here that's that's uh, that's running for office in Cheryl Hughes. Very, her life is very much in submission to the word of God, and she loves the Lord, and she's serving serving the Lord. She's one that I want establishing laws, that I want establishing these things, right? So we pray for Cheryl. We love Cheryl. It's not a hard thing to, to pray for Cheryl. It's harder sometimes to pray for other people, but we do so because we're commanded to do so. The Lord tells us to do so. We're going to pray and uh, and just know that the Lord is uh, is in charge. It says that he's God's minister uh, and avenger to execute wrath. Doesn't sound like that's somebody I want to meet, right? This is this is telling us governments are established for a good reason. If we're living our lives in lawful ways, we have nothing to worry about. If we're skirting the law, if we're breaking the law, then we have something to worry about. So uh, it's even talking about a, a conscience sake here, right? 
Uh, now, one thing I like about this is, is Paul doesn't differentiate between, you know, who we should follow, who we should. No, he just says the governing authorities that are over, you need to pray for. Right. Because then we'd have that. all. We always look for loopholes. Right. Uh, you know, we just OK. Can I can I get around this with that? Can I get is there some way I can get around this? No, we're just called to, uh, you know, submit to the leadership uh, that is uh, that is over us. We don't like them. Pray for. Them, right. So, uh, you know, when you consider even in uh, the book of Jeremiah, you want to talk about leaders. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar was called by God. My servant. Nebuchadnezzar was a servant of God and had no idea. God called him, Nebuchadnezzar, my servant. Because as God is, is correcting the people of Israel, and he's saying to them, no, I, your judgment is not to stay here and fight. Your judgment is to go and serve Nebuchadnezzar. You want to serve false gods and everything? I'm going to let you go that way. Right? And the false prophets would come up and say, no, God's going to restore. He's going to bring us back and everything. God's like, and God would speak to Jeremiah, and Jeremiah would be like, no, that's not right. But he called Nebuchadnezzar, a wicked, just idolatrous king, his servant. So, you know, they obviously weren't all excited about following him or, or listening to him, but God ultimately, um, you know, and, and some of them tried to tried to even get away. They, they, they tried to go to Egypt. Right. So this is this is hilarious. So they all come to Jeremiah. and They're like, hey, we prophesy for us. We promise we'll do whatever you tell us to do. Just tell us whatever it is. Right. And Jeremiah comes through with the same word. He's like, hey, I know, you know the Lord addresses you all want to go to Egypt. You got you guys want to escape to Egypt because you know you're going to you're going to be met there with the sword and pestilence. That's what you're going to face if you disobey the word of God. The word of God was telling you to go and, and serve Nebuchadnezzar because you guys are being punished. Right. And as soon as Nebuchadnezzar, uh, sorry, as, as Jeremiah finishes giving them that, they're like, you're a traitor. You hate us. <laughs> like they promised. They gave him their word like, hey, whatever you say, we're going to do. And as soon as they heard what they didn't want to hear, they're call They're calling him out saying, no, 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 no. You're in cahoots with everybody here. Just think of that. Think of that. Christians were called to be law abiding citizens. Uh, you know, there's a uh, there's a point we're going to get to here where we have to discuss. OK. This is now attacking my faith. And so what am I supposed to do at that point, right? You may remember Peter. When Peter's being told by the authorities over him to not speak in the name of Jesus anymore. That didn't work out so well for them, right? So Peter's like, you can do what you want, say what you want. But, you know, whether we, you, you can sit there and try to reconcile, but, you know, whether we should obey God or man, but we know what we're going to do. I'm paraphrasing, of course. You know, Peter just, you know, respectfully, what do, what do you call it? Civil disobedience, right? Peter's like, no, I'm still going to do what I need to do. If we suffer for our faith, we're going to be blessed by God. Verse 6, for because of this, you also pay taxes. We're all ready to, uh, right? <laughs> for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. You know, where, where he says, because of this, you pay taxes. They're God's ministers. They're attending continually to this very thing. If they're in those positions, they're to use the tax money that's being brought there in a righteous way. It's, I hear some chuckling. I get it, right? They're supposed to, right? Uh, unfortunately, we all look and go, that doesn't seem to make sense. Where did that come from? Don't know. They're going to be accountable to those things. What does it tell Christians to do? Pay our taxes. You know, the, 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 the whole joke saying, hey, there's two things that are sure in life, death and taxes, right? <clears throat> They're unavoidable unless you're hiding under a rock. Then you're at least going to die. Um, may not pay taxes, but, you know, if you're there. But <clears throat> but if you consider the good things, if, uh, you know, some people don't even like law enforcement, you might like them when somebody's breaking into your house, Right? May not may not care for you know paying for a fire department until your house is on fire, right? There, you know the ambulance crew, uh, whatever it may be, right? So when we start looking at you know oh I hate these roads, right? We don't pay taxes, we can't you know it's kind of like if you don't vote you can't complain about who got elected because you didn't even vote, you know if if somebody's not paying their taxes well can they complain against the roads? No. Now, we all know we live in Maine. It's pothole city. I get it. But 
that's what our taxes are supposed to be used for. I'm thankful for, you know, roads. I'm thankful for, like, sewage treatment, uh, you know, stuff like that. But it's also wasted. We know. We know that dollars are wasted and, and those things. But does that give us the right to not pay our taxes? No. We still have to pay those taxes here. So the question is, if we don't like who's there, how do we make change? It's not violence. It's not trying to overtake. It's in the vote voting booth. In the voting booth, right? It's it's finding godly people to run. Cheryl did not want to run. I can promise you that. She's even said it. And she was scared to death to do it. And then God told her, yes, I want you to do this. And I'm sure he's giving her uh, his peace that surpasses all understanding about this. Mark is included in that. The family. But electing godly people that we can say, hey, you know what? I know that person shares my same values and I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, cast my vote for them. I don't live uh, in the towns that, so I can't vote for Cheryl, but I could, you know, I, 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 yeah, I don't even know how much of that I can even say without anything. But anyways, yes. So consider it, but voting, Voting and, uh, you know, if the Lord may be pulling on your heart to run for office, that you might be in a spot uh, where you would be uh, one of these leaders. You know, pray about it. Consider it. Prayerfully vote for those that are going to um, bring about godly change. Verse 7 continues. It says, uh, render therefore to all their due. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's, right? Nothing more, nothing less. Whatever belongs to Caesar goes to Caesar. Uh, now, Matthew 22, we'll look at, at, at some verses here. If you want to turn there, you can. Uh, they're going to be, the verses are going to be up there, but it, we're going to read seven or eight verses here uh, from Matthew 22, verse uh, 15 is where we're going to start. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk, speaking of Jesus Christ. They're tired of his ministry. They're tired of hearing him, tired of seeing him, all these things. So they're trying to figure out ways the religious leaders are uh, to, to entangle the Lord. And it says, and they went to him, uh, they sent to him uh, their disciples with the Herodians saying, teacher, we know that you are true and teach the ways of God in truth, nor do you care about anyone uh, for you do not regard the persons of men. They're kissing up to him right here. Uh, tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? <laughs> you imagine like, hey, we'll send up you know, Joey or whatever. He's going to be the one. You know, he's, a, he's a good speaker. He's a good orator. And Jesus flat out, he detects it and so calls them hypocrites. They all knew that, you know, the... Uh, they were found out at that point. So it's, he says, show me the tax money. So they brought him a denarius. Interesting, he didn't have one in his pocket, right? Uh, show me a, a denarius. And uh, he said to them, whose image and inscription is on this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And he said to them, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. Render to Caesar what's Caesar's. Render to God what's to God, what's God's, and move. There's our answer, right? We whether we like it or not, taxes are going to happen. We're called to to pay them. You know, you can figure out what is Caesar's and what's not, and what's God's and what's not. Uh, all those things here. But if we understand uh, that as Christians, we are called to be law-abiding, tax-paying citizens, as much as many of us uh, don't want to do uh, sometimes follow or, or pay the taxes or whatever, uh, they, it is biblical to do so. So we have an obligation from the Lord to obey uh, governmental authorities. So uh, they are obligated to, to rule uh, fairly and justly. So they're accountable to God. So we just have to trust that the Lord is going to take care of these things. Now, our obedience uh, isn't uh, at, at first... Uh, conditional uh, to the, the competence of, of uh, an official. We're to pray for them, right? We saw that from 1 Timothy. So when, when we look at it and go, oh, well, that person's not competent. I'm not going to follow them. Well, no, we actually are still continue, uh, still called to uh, obey, but we're supposed to pray for them. So where does the obligation of obedience end? So what's the line? We were talking about that. What, what, what is, what's that, that line where you say, okay, the law says this, but God, God's word says this. 
Okay, When the Christian finds themselves where they've done all they can to obey the laws of the land, but now it's a contrary to our faith, how do we approach it then? What do, what do we do then? We go where God goes, right? What God's word says. You know, consider Paul, the man writing this, he ended up in prison for not obeying commands. Peter, a man who church history tells us was crucified upside down, uh, for his faith in Christ. Peter had this to say, Therefore, in 1 Peter 2, verses 13 through 17, Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to king as supreme or to governors, as those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. Totally different guy writing this, writing the same thing, right? For this is the will of God, that you... Uh, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor people, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. That's Peter's take on it. Consider what Daniel, Daniel, uh, you know, what he, in the book of Daniel, there's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his, his Daniel's, uh, uh, friends that were there, uh, but also Daniel himself. But first we're going to look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel chapter 3 verse uh, starts in verse 12, says, uh, there are certain Jews, so uh, this is, uh, we'll read through it and then we'll go back. Uh, there are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the, of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, uh, have not paid regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. So uh, the, the servants of Nebuchadnezzar are trying to get Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Jews that were, that were carried in captivity and were servants, uh, forced servants of Nebuchadnezzar, went through extreme training, had to learn the culture, all these things, very smart and very blessed men. And uh, so now they're getting told on, if you want to look at it that way. So this guy's, uh, this, uh, these, these people are there telling on uh, Nebuchadnezzar because he had set up a, a, a gold image and said that uh, everybody must bow down to it. So what they're saying is everybody's bow down, bowing down, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. <clears throat> Verse 16 is the king's response. Uh, we'll see the king's response in here. It says, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king. So there's a we're we're actually looking at um, a, a conversation here. But the, the the verses I didn't include were the king getting really mad, saying, "You know, bring them in here." So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, "O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, O God, whom we serve, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace." He will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if you let, uh, but if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. So there, there's the line, right? So they're serving. They don't want to be serving, but they're serving uh, Nebuchadnezzar as they were supposed to. But then when it came to who am I going to worship? Somebody's telling me not to worship God. Well, that's where the line ends. And they were threatened, uh, and, and they had uh, the fiery furnace after this is, is heated up seven times hotter. That when these guys get thrown into it, bound, when they get thrown into it, the people that threw them in burned to death, but they didn't burn. But they made the, they made the statement, like, we're not going to do it, and God's able to deliver us. And even if he doesn't, we're still not doing it. Like, just no, we're not, we're not going along with this. Daniel chapter 6, when the Medes have taken over and uh, King Darius was ruling, so Darius got, uh, there was a, uh, people that were trying to get Daniel out of his position of leadership and they were very jealous, uh, of his, uh, his position. So they get to a point where, uh, they are, are trying to set Daniel up. So they, they get the King to sign a decree that would indict Daniel because, uh, and this is only for 30 days. So they had this, 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 uh, planned out for 30 days so that they could catch Daniel praying because they knew he wasn't going to be stopping praying to the Lord. So uh, they have the king sign this decree. And, and uh, in the Medo-Persian, uh, uh, in their culture, you couldn't just say, well, I know I signed that, but once you signed it in, it's law. Like you can't even change it yourself. So uh, they had to go through uh, with this. So that for 30 days, they knew they would catch Daniel still praying to the Lord because he faithfully served uh, 
Y-H, W-H, the Lord, capital L, capital O-R-D, right? All, all those letters. They, that, that God, the God of the Jews. So Daniel uh, chapter 6, verse 5 says, Then these men said, We shall uh, not find any charge against Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Verse 10, so then they went and they get this uh, this all done. And uh, they get the king to sign it. Verse 10 says, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, Daniel knew that it was it was written. He knew it. He went home, and in his upper room, with his windows open uh, toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks to to uh, before uh, his God as was his custom since early days. He knew it was signed. And what did Daniel do? No, I'm going to serve the Lord. And he goes up. And he prays, and verse 11 says, Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Amen. Guys, when, when the word of God is, is commanding us to do something, and, uh, and there may be those over us that are saying, No, we don't care. You're going to do what we say. That's when things change. Consider COVID-19, right? I don't mean to get uh, overly political here. But there, was, there were all around this country... There, and all around the world, people are saying, you can go anywhere else. You can go to the pot dispensary. You can go uh, get alcohol. You can go to the grocery store. You can go everywhere. But you better not go to church. You can't go to church. So at first, with that, uh, you know, churches shut their doors. And, and they said, when, when this first came, because nobody really knew what was going on. And then churches are like, wait a minute. Now you're telling us we permanently can't meet until you say so? Absolutely not. Right. I, I, a few of us, when we went down to Philadelphia, listened to Mike McClure. Uh, Mike McClure was facing massive fines, millions of dollars from uh, the state of California uh, for not obeying. And uh, and when he went to court, he, he he they ended up winning their case. And uh, and at last I heard uh, California, it was ruled that California actually had to pay the church. So I haven't followed up, you know, with appeals and all those things. But they did win. Because they said it was unconstitutional for them to be told they can't have church. They were saying, oh, you can have church virtually and everything. We still do that. We have it running here for those who can't make it or whatever. But the, the word tells us in Hebrews 10 not to forsake the gathering together of the brethren as we should, right? What happens when we're at church? What, I mean, we, we get built up. We get strengthened. We're in the word together. We're singing together. There's something that happens within our soul. Right, that just uh, the the Lord is ministering to us. We're getting fed, right? We're getting fed the Word of God. We're lifting our voices and hearts. We're worshiping as we should corporately, right? There's a, there's a powerful thing that's happening, right? Where two or more are gathered together, I am with them, right? Gathered in His name, then He's here with us. Then churches came to the point where they had to make the the decision: Am I going to obey this, or am I going to obey the Word of God? When we find ourselves at those places, we have to uh, we have to come to a point where we make a decision. First Peter three. This is the last uh, thing I have. Then we're going to move on to loving our neighbor. Okay. So First Peter three verses fourteen through seventeen says, "But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And if you and do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts." And always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience. And uh, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed for it is better for it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So all of that, you know, respecting uh, those in authority, all those things. We just have to understand it is better for us to suffer for doing good than rather for doing evil. Verse 8, Owe no one anything except, except to love one another, for he who loves another uh, has fulfilled the law. So uh, owe no one anything except to love one another. You, you guys ever owed somebody something? I remember I was a, a kid in uh, Super Bowl whatever, and um, I, I, I and I don't I don't condone at all uh, uh, gambling. Yeah, but uh, when I was a kid, 
I was like, I knew they were going to win. And I bet this kid uh, that, that lived around the corner from me, and, and he was older than me, uh, five bucks that the Bengals are going to beat the 49ers, you know, and, and I, I didn't even have five bucks. <laughs> so come Monday morning after the Bengals lost, I'm like scrambling, scrambling, going through my mom's pocketbook, looking for change, right? Finally, I got my five bucks of shame in a Ziploc bag and I hand it to him, right? I hate owing anybody anything, you know, oh, oh, no one, hey, don't go around trying to get things that somebody may have something over us, Right? Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another uh, has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you uh, shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. So Paul goes to quote all these commandments from the Ten Commandments. And the emphasis he's saying is, don't do these things. And, and you know, when he's talking, and these are really bad things. I think most of us can look and go, adultery, bad thing. Stealing, murder, bearing false witness, coveting. Those are bad things that are forbidden in the scripture. And uh, when, when he's naming these, he's saying the emphasis is, well, the word of God says don't do these. But what does he say to do? So don't do those things. I think many of us can look and go, okay, yeah, okay, so I'm not supposed to uh, conduct myself in that manner. So uh, then Paul goes on to say, he says, uh, if there is any other commandment, uh, they are all summed up uh, in this saying, namely, uh, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So the emphasis of what to do uh, starts here and it says, love your neighbor as yourself. And love does no harm to a neighbor. Right. Uh, if my neighbor is uh, doing my, me harm, am I going to think that neighbor is loving me? Like, oh, yeah, they, they love me so much and punch me right in the mouth. Right. Love that guy. And he loves me. I know it. Right. Uh, those are obvious things. I get it. Right. But uh, you know, uh, that but not even just a physical harm. Right. Like taking from our neighbor or just not respecting our neighbor. You know, the, when, when we see here, love, uh, love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 12, Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Right? Jesus also summed up uh, the commandments of God and said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So Paul's continuing uh, in his uh, description and, and instructions for Christian living. So how do we actually love our neighbor? You know, they, uh, when we consider what Romans 5, 5 tells us, we studied this weeks back. It says, now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. If we want to figure out how we're to love, we go to the source of love. We go to God. And say, Holy Spirit, pour more love into me. Right? It already says it's been poured into us. If we need more, ask for more. It's not like God's like, oh, you know, hey, kid, you got to wait a little bit. We're, we're running low on this here. Now, God, change my heart from hatred to love. Change my heart from selfishness to loving my neighbor. It's not a normal thing for us to be, you know, elevating somebody else, their needs up uh, above ours or uh, living selflessly. That, that all comes from the Lord. If we look at who we were, Titus 3 tells us, verse 3 says, For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. You now then the love of the Lord is received uh, as, as the Holy Spirit has been poured out into our hearts. And, it, and, and he changes us, right? Because if we look at our past conduct, like it's saying there, we might find, oh, you know what? I can hate that person. I hate him. I don't like him. Anything uh, that, that comes up about him, don't care. I hate him. But uh, what does the love of Christ do? It changes our lives. Love poured out. That's how we love our neighbors. Just asking the Lord, give me your love. Change me. And he'll do it. Verse 11, and do this. Knowing the time that now is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. 
The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. So Paul goes on to say here, he says, and do this knowing the time that it is now high time. Wake up. He's, he's speaking to Christians like if you're being lazy, wake up, wake up. If that's if, if, if that tells you something, if that speaks to your heart, that's the Lord speaking to you. Wake up. You know, the church has been asleep for a long time. Guys, the video I just saw that I'd love to show here, but I'll probably just send it to you know a few of the guys here. Video I saw, and I think I spoke of it last week. Of what? Yes, I did. About uh, Super Bowl Sunday. Guys, the foolishness that goes on in the church. Totally asleep. Totally asleep. They're, they're, they're using Bibles as props to kick the field goal and those things. That's the word of God. Right? I'm not saying walk around with it. It is a piece of paper with ink on it, and you know, we can go buy another one at Walmart. Do we kick it though? Right? Oh, like what are you doing? Right? They had they had people dressed as football players or referees doing stupid stuff. I mean really dumb stuff. And I'm going, where where is the focus of Christ? The focus there was a football game. And they're trying to do a cute thing, like, hey, you like football? Yeah, well, we like it too, and all those things. It's it's, it's nonsense. The church is asleep. Like, you, you consider the church in America, when, when this is happening and nobody walks up like, what is going on here? Or nobody just walks out. I hope there are a lot of people that walked out. When you see that, that, that foolishness, those, those things are, are ridiculous. Wake up. You know, if there's, America needs to wake up, but how's America going to wake up? From the church waking up. Awake for the time. So I'm sorry, I'm getting off on a, a tangent here, right? Uh, Ephesians 5 verses 14 through 16 say, Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. We don't know when Christ is coming back. People say, why didn't he tell us when he's coming back? Oh, so we didn't. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how bad the world would be? Oh, no, he's not coming back for another 10 years. We're good. We can do whatever we want, right? Government, <laughs> right? That, that, that's the wisdom of God. Because if Jesus Christ said, I'm coming back, da-da-da-da-da, how many people are actually going to be like passionate about serving him? Because it's going to be, oh, so we've got this. We can go do whatever we want. You know, think of, think of the foolishness of, uh, and forgive me if I'm wrong on some facts on this, but my interpretation of what Mardi Gras is, is I'm going to indulge in as much as I can, and then I'm going to fake that I'm, I'm, I'm really living a life of dedication to God. Right? That's, that's my personal interpretation. I've not done, and I'm not going to do a big study on what Mardi Gras is. Because all I had to do was walk past Bourbon Street when I had to go down there for a con uh, conference. I hated it. It stunk. It smelled. People were getting arrested in CVS when I'm going to go get water there. It was I never felt safe, and I felt gross and dirty the whole time. What is it? Because everybody's saying, before this happens, before you know Catholic Lent happens, we're going to indulge, and we're going to, you know, Fat Tuesday. We're going to indulge in all these things. So like I said, if I'm wrong, I'm sorry. But th th that's the way I took it. I haven't you know, delved into all of that. But essentially, that is, that is the, the mindset that, that uh, you know, the, the unrepentant will, will take is, well, there's not accountability till then. So when I get there, then I'll change, right? But the time is, when it says here, awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. We're 2,000 years nearer from when he wrote that. They didn't know then. We don't know now. It might be another 1,000 years. But do we serve the God that saved us with any less fervence and any any less uh, uh, you know uh, uh, sincerity or anything? No, we don't know, right? We don't have to worry about that. If you're walking with the Lord, you don't have to. It's, it shouldn't be a worry. It should be something you're looking forward to. Is it going to come by the end of this service? Hopefully, right? If it doesn't, okay. When's it coming? I don't know. But God, in His wisdom, didn't tell us when He's coming back. 
But there's description here. of uh, So it says, uh, verse 12, The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Don't do these things and do this thing, right? The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Right? Cast off the works of darkness. No more messing around with sin. This is talking about casting it off. Like if you cast something off, you're not like, okay, I'm just going to put this right here. This is this is talking about like casting it off. It's it's no longer a part, right? To have nothing to do with them, right? We studied last week in Romans 12, 9, abhor what is evil, uh, cling to what is good, right? Just consider that. Put on the armor of light. Why would we wear armor? Because we're in a war. <laughs> put on the armor of light because we're in a spiritual war. We're in that war. We And if we're going into, into battle without uh, any armor on, we're setting ourselves up for failure. Put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day. This is, right? So in day, it's a lot easier to walk when there's daylight, right? We can walk properly. Trying to walk the same way we walk in the day, in the dark? You know, might miss the sign about head level, right? Might miss the, the, the divot in the road or whatever. Things are different. We're called to walk properly as in the day. So Christians must walk properly. This is, this is like, this isn't a suggestion, like I said, right? This is, this is actual command. Walk properly according to God's word. Otherwise, we're defaming his name. So we, we, uh, we saw the list of don'ts, the list of do's. I continue here. Right, verse thirteen says, uh, "Not in revelry and drunkenness." So the opposite of walking properly, don't do these things. You know, God God calls for repentance uh, from that life, that life of partying, and uh, which is specifically talking about partying and drunkenness. It says, First uh, Corinthians six verses ten and eleven says, "Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God." And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Those It says those people won't inherit the kingdom of heaven. I was on that list in several, several areas. What does it say? But you were washed. Paul's telling them, you were washed. There's a different life expected of you. Not that life of defilement. You've been washed. There's difference. Not in lewdness and lust, he continues. The outward acts of, of lewdness and lust are, are kind of self-explanatory, I think, especially in our, our culture. Our culture is obsessed with these things. The lewdness and lust must not be part of the Christian life. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14, the second half of verse 14 says, For what fellowship has righteousness with, has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? We shouldn't be com uh, you know, communing with uh, lewdness and lust. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 17, a few, a few verses down from that, says, Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you, quoting Isaiah 52 and, Isaiah and Ezekiel 20. Christians are called to be different, called to be uh, not taking part of those things. Inward participation in lewdness and lust. Um, and I don't mean to make anybody uncomfortable, but if you consider, I, I, I watched a, a documentary here last week. Uh, it was it was a very short documentary. I think it was like seven minutes long. Um, but it was talking about about pornography. And, it, and, and if you consider the problem, of, and what it was is an interview uh, with a woman that, that was uh, in that industry. And what she was explaining in the industry was that she couldn't get out of it because that's how, the only way she could she could pay for her drug habit. It's the only way she she didn't have any other skills. Here's a here's a, a beautiful lady that probably could have taken her talents and gone and done something respectful in her life, but she was stuck there and she couldn't get out. She left the industry with fifteen hundred dollars because she used everything she had to pay for drugs. But guys, this isn't even pornography isn't just a problem out in the world within the church. 
In that documentary, they said that 80 million people every day are streaming that over their computers, phones, whatever. 80 million people. And what they 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 said in there is that it was actually more than people that are, are streaming Netflix and, and all these other streaming services. More people are watching that than watching whatever Touched by an Angel or show that they're streaming. 80 million people. A horrifying thing to think of with that. Lewd, remember, we're talking about lewdness and lust, right? The outward things are a little easier, but if you consider the things that can be uh, partaken of more on the inward side of that, pornography. What, what they were describing also is that when they don't have willing participants, then they'll use non-willing participants for those things to feed the need, right? You have 80 million people around the world watching these things. How are they going to get it? How are they going to get people? If they're not willing to, they're going to force people to do it. It's horrifying. The fact that it's even a part of the church is is nauseating. It's 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 frightening. Not in lewdness and lust. Not in strife and envy. Strife. Strife is often tied to you know when when you consider strife, uh, it, you can you can see in it you know what's the motive of it? Covetousness, jealousy, pride, whatever it is. Proverbs 20, verse 3 says, It is honorable for a man to stop striving since any fool can start a quarrel. Right? Anybody can start a fight. <laughs> you can just walk up and be like, I just want to fight. I remember seeing that in school. Actually, the kid was coming in to fight me. He didn't know it. But he was looking for anybody who's mad at him. And, and uh, um, he saw my shirt and had some things to say about my shirt. And I just remember sitting, I was uh, at, at, at school and uh, sitting up on the um, the stage there in Boxport High School, and I'm sitting up there, and boom, he pushes through the door. He's like, anybody who wants to throw down, I'm right here. And we had one kid that loved fighting. Instantly ran right over, and they they became really good friends, but instantly just said, I just want to fight. They didn't know each other from a hole in the wall. This kid, it was, it was his first day of school. Right? You remember that, right? First day of school. And this kid just, he, 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 he heard that, that I was mad at him. I'm like, I don't care. He said something about my shirt, you know? And, uh, um, and, but it was, it wasn't even a bad thing, but somebody, you know, Hey, Hey, you said this and all these things. And, but this kid wanted to fight. Another kid didn't even know him. Like, Oh, you want to fight? And they're, they're just going at it. Some people want to strive, right? Proverbs 20 verse, uh, 22 verse 10 says, cast out the scoffer and contention will, will leave. Yes. Strife and reproach will cease. Considering envy Proverbs 14 verse 30 says, uh, a sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. Look at that, right? A sound heart is life to the body. Soundness, peace. I'm, I'm blessed, right? I'm not envying anybody. What does envy do? It's rottenness to the bones. That incessant desire for what somebody else has or, or, or whatever it may be, it destro as destroys us from the inside out. It's going to eat you up. 1 Timothy 6 uh, it says, uh, for now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, uh, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced them to themselves through with many sorrows. Strife and envy should not be a part of the church. We're supposed to be content. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Just, okay, you know what? I'm walking with the Lord, and I'm going to be content with what he's given me, and then I don't have to worry about envy that's going to eat at my bones, right? That deep down resentment and all those things, not a part of our lives. Verse 14 says, put on the Lord Jesus. How are we going to win against all these things? All these things that are being spoken against here by putting on the armor. Putting on Christ-like armor, right? Just saying, Lord, I can't do this of myself. Change my mind. You know, Holy Spirit, have all uh, your, your way in me. We're not called as Christians to live in the old flesh, but to, you know, being obedient to Christ. We're called to be uh, to be able to exercise discernment, know the right thing from the wrong thing, and do the right thing. Right when we know, right, we're judged based on what we know. Right, we're called uh, to uh, 
live a life of discernment and a life of discipline. You know, we can't just, like, yeah, I know that, but I don't really want to do it. So we're not disciplined, right? So there's, there's uh, those two things need to go together. <clears throat> the discipline to follow God's commands and not our flesh. Ends it by saying this, make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. So it doesn't say, like, make a few provisions or don't make many. Make no provision for the flesh. Flesh is dead, right? For the Christian, the, the person that has professed, professed faith in Christ, right? Been baptized, that old person being buried in the water, right? And the, the, the picture of that and that public declaration of I'm a new creation in Christ. It, it, so there, I love that it says there, make no provision for the flesh. Nothing. No provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Remember, we're in an all-out battle. That battles with the flesh, with our own flesh, with the enemy that loves to just poke and prod a little bit. Hey, you like this, right? Seem to be really drawn near to God. What about this? You just have to have the discernment and discipline, right? Sometimes we find ourselves struggling with the discernment and, and the, uh, the discipline. So when we pick up a phone and call a brother or sister and say, I'm really struggling. Can we pray? Can we get together, get some coffee? Can we talk? Want to come over? Whatever. Guys, don't go to a girl's house. Girls, don't go to a guy. You guys get it, right? It's an everyday thing. Make no provision for the flesh. The flesh leads to sin and death. We, under, we understand that. The, the, the flesh is that, that picture of life outside of Christ when we weren't walking with Christ, right? Because we can't, like, leave our flesh. But we're not supposed to follow our sinful desires like we did before we knew Christ. Spirit. So we can either follow the flesh that leads to death or the spirit that leads to righteousness, life, and freedom. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17 says, Now the Lord is the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, there is freedom. 2 Corinthians 3, 17. We win this battle by the power of the Holy Spirit, by practically living out our faith in prayer, being in word, being in constant fellowship. Those are, those are, that's, that's, it's not really hard. It's not rocket science. I, you guys know, I was an awful student in school. Awful. But I can figure this one out. Right, this is pretty simple to understand. To do, <laughs> better be ready, right? It's an all-out war. Galatians 5, verses 16 and 17 say, I say then, uh, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. It's an all-out battle. How do we win it? Walk in the Spirit. How do we walk in the Spirit? Follow the Lord. Listen to what He has to say. Follow in the Word of God. Diving into it. Praying. You know, just, just doing the things that we should be doing. Being in church. Submitting our lives and our will, our hearts, completely to the Lord. Letting the Holy Spirit reign in our minds and our Lord, I want to do this, but I don't want to. Would you please give me the strength to do it? He's always going to provide the way of escape. Right? That's the name of our addiction uh, study here. Way of escape. Shameless plug right there. Right? We're going to end with this. Colossians 3, verses 2 and 3 say, Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. It's all, you know, when, when we're considering how do we live, how do we do all these things, remember that we're dead, right? We died to sin. That's, that, I won't let anybody in here that I've ever baptized be like, oh, no, you can go right ahead, go back to that. Like, and, and, and when we're having a discussion, I'm like, no, I'm just going to return to that. I'm like, no, 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 that's not an option for you. You can't do it. Your, your old person's dead. I baptized you, right? <laughs> right? We dunked you in the really cold water up there. No, that, that person, you're following their flesh or your enemy. We're not going to do that. Let's come back to the Lord, right? So it's very straightforward and practical, these directions and lessons here in living as a follower of Christ. We're to live in discernment, live with discipline, and live in obedience to God's word. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for your word. We thank you for the correction. We thank you for uh, the instructions of how to live a godly life. Lord, we are so grateful that we can't, we can't do it our own and that you, Lord, provide the way to do it by giving us your Holy Spirit. Help us to submit our will to the Spirit.
to follow you, to trust you. Lord, that we would trust you to do the things that we may not want to do. We may not want to pray for uh, somebody in leadership. We may not want to uh, submit our will, Lord. We pray that your spirit would give us the strength to do so. We want to live lives that please you and glorify and honor you.